<laughs> so good. There's the start. Oh man. All right. That's, that's good. I'll, I'll clap again. There it is. That's, that's the real official start. Welcome to the Numo Podcast. I am joined by my good friend, Drew Williams. Drew, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, your story, where you, where you hail from, how we know each other, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. I think, uh, yeah, high level, uh, me and you went to Bible college together. So uh, we live do you, in the do you remember? Do you remember the first time you met me? Because I do. I do, yeah. I remember, yeah. It was you and Noel and Josh getting out of your car. Yeah, and I remember uh, showing you guys your rooms and all that. Did yeah. you go out and do something? Where we go? I, I gosh, I think we went to a Beavers game. I know we did do that, did all that. Nathan Finocchio was chanting, um, how do you like your beaver meat? Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's all, it's all a blur. I was in love with Noel and she was running from me. So it's, it, was a, it was a rough time. And you drove that, uh, what kind of car did you drive? I drove, oh man. She drove a, a 1999 Volkswagen Beetle. That's what and, it was. I remember a Beetle in this. Yeah. Scene. And uh, uh, yeah, man, that was, that was some good times. I missed that. Yeah. I was thinking about it earlier. There, there was probably no cooler city to go to college in than Portland, Oregon. Oh, yeah. But it's funny because it's become exponentially cooler since we left. Like yeah. all of the Quite best coffee it. shops there opened the year that I moved back home, like late yeah. 2009. And yeah. barista, all these places. And it's like, what the heck? I missed. And I loved it. But it was so much cooler. Like, I look back at pictures. I looked disgusting. My hair was terrible. My hair's terrible again because can't cut it. But it was, it was rough, man. It, every picture. I, there's not one good, not even from my wedding. And your wife did our wedding pictures. That just popped in I my head. I remember that. Um, and yeah. I think that was before you guys were together. But even those did pictures. Did I DJ your wedding? I can't remember. No. I don't no, think so. I, no, we had a DJ. We had a bad DJ. He, uh, he didn't play the songs that Noel wanted. I'm thinking of Double D and Amelia. I did. I DJed oh. their wedding. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, you, well, now you have to give context for Double D in case someone misinterprets um, what Absolutely. you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Daniel Dahl. Those are his initials, people. And he was, he was a large, large man. Large personality. Very, yeah. He's, he's a big dude. Love that guy. Also, chanted, also a lot of chanting at Beaver games with him. <laughs> man and so so you went you went to pbc uh you were there what was it oh three to oh seven is that right uh oh two to six oh two to oh six was it no i think you were there yeah, two years four to eight yep 2004 2008 and then um uh, so i got my degree in theology and i moved back to uh albuquerque new mexico which is my dad pastor's a church um and so that was kind of my goal was to um get a job working at the church and going to ministry full-time and um, served there for several years on a volunteer basis and um, did a lot of cool things, helped uh, my, with my brother and my dad. My brother now passed through that church. Um, but kind of on the side, uh, as I was well, through Bible college, I was selling phones at the mall for T-Mobile. Um, and then I got a job with T-Mobile that moved me back to Albuquerque. And um, kind of through that season, God just kind of kept blessing what I was doing at work. Um, and I kept seeing promotions and raises. Mm -hmm. the, the interesting part was it's not what I wanted to do. You know, I remember yeah. having this uh, open, viable, like, vocal frustration with God of, Hey God, like this isn't what I want to do. Why are you blessing me in this area of my life? When what I really want to do is see this church take off and go and be, uh, you know, a uh, full-time pastor one day, you know? And so uh, while we were seeing growth and great things happen in my dad's church, there was just this kind of exponential growth happening on um, the T-Mobile side of things in my career. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, over, so over the years, I, you know, that kind of kept growing. And then 
Um, and about four and a half years ago, we moved to Springfield, Missouri. Um, I was asked to kind of take over a call center here. And so now I'm a director for a customer experience center for T-Mobile and I lead a team of um, about 820 people. And so for T-Mobile, if uh, you live in the north central part of the country, uh, like Minnesota, Chicago, Ohio, uh, and you call, text, or need help from my company, uh, you're going to talk to one of my people. And so uh, wow. my team uh, around them supports that part. And yeah, so it's nothing, it was never the life plan, but you know, you look at um, kind of how things shake out. And I think uh, I've always identified with the story of Joseph in the Bible, right? He had a dream, he had a, something he wanted to go do, um, but God's journey in getting him there in a context in which he did that thing was wildly different than what he expected. Huh. Um, and so, you know, he learned to be excellent in Potiphar's house. Um, and it was the excellence in Potiphar's house that put him into this place where he could make a huge impact on a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, people see that final scene of him, you know, leading this nation through this great dark famine time um, and where he learned those skills was, you know, Potiphar's house in obscurity and isolation. And so um, for me, T-Mobile was always in my Potiphar's house. That's where God uh, taught me and trained me. And I've learned how to be a great leader and had a lot of great leaders around me. It's an awesome part to be a great company. Um, and I've just been extremely fortunate on that side. So it was several years ago. I kind of just let go. I was like, all right, God, like I'm going to follow the path. I mean, the path you put in front of one step at a time and we'll see how this thing goes. So that's where I'm at today and what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Married my dream girl, got two sons that are six and eight. They're awesome. Um, and so I am a suburban dad in middle America and it's better than I ever imagined. <laughs> Dude, that's the life suburban. Although I'm not middle, I'm Northwest, but still suburban dad. It's the life. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's the most fulfilling thing. And people who haven't had kids yet uh, or are younger look at it and think, man, that looks really week like why would you want to do that you know so like you know even like right now like i'm barbecuing a chicken outside while i'm talking to you you know that's awesome <laughs> and there's like there's just something about you know and i got done playing smash brothers with my kids for like an hour before that you know and so i don't Bro, know it's just a most fulfilling thing i can't wait to play video like i have a nintendo ds and it's funny because it's right here i just found it in my garage because i'm setting up my office and uh, Ooh, it's kind of look at that. it's about to break but um hayden is in love with it but she doesn't understand it and yeah. so I, can't, I can't wait for the day to like play the old school video games. I, I'm not, yeah. I don't have any of the new systems, but in my garage, I've got a Nintendo Super N64. I can't wait for the kids to be able to kind of play those and enjoy them. That's going to be so fun. Yeah, my kids are, I mean, I'm just a couple of years ahead of you on that, on that timeline. And it's yeah. as awesome as you think it's going to be. If not more, it's incredible. Oh, man. I want them to be competitive though at Mario Kart because I hate playing Mario Kart in particular or Tony Hawk. Um, with people who are subpar, it feels like a waste of right. time. So I, I do want them to get to that level. And I'm hoping that that comes, you know, relatively soon. <laughs> we do a, a Nintendo Switch and we play Smash Brothers. And so we do what's called the Daddy Challenge at night. And so when it's time for bed, uh, they can stay up. So that's those two against me. And as soon as I beat them, they got to go to bed. No questions asked, game over, end of the day. Oh, dude. That so I used to kind of mess through. Yeah, I used to mess around with them and let them win a few times. And then I just destroy them. And it feels good to destroy your kids. Yeah, uh, and Smash Brothers, but I gotta tell you, man, getting my kids are getting better. Like the other night, it took me like forty-five minutes to beat them, and my wife looked at me like, "Hey, handle it. It's way past your bedtime." I'm like, "I'm trying. <laughs> I can't." That is amazing. I I'm so I'm so ready for that. That that's yeah, incredible, fun, man. Yeah. Well, hey, so you talked about that idea. You know, I don't want to uh, stick to it too long, but you talked about this being, in a sense, not that you see it as a season only but you're in a, you know, you're in Potiphar's house in your season, right? And in your role yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've heard, you know, one of the things I've thought about Joseph and I've heard you talk a lot about is his perspective, his mindset. I've 
heard you talk about mm-hmm. mindset and you, you said one thing, um, I, I saw something that you did with your team. I thought it was brilliant. And you said, don't believe everything you think. Uh, talk a little bit, maybe if you can, about that in regards to uh, this season that we're in, uh, in the same way. And maybe not everyone's in a Potiphar's house kind of thing, but I think the principle applies. It's like the way that we talk to ourselves and um, what we say um, when, when nobody's around to our own selves, what we project onto our future has huge bearing on what we actually end up experiencing. And so t- mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more about that. What, what does that look like for you? Uh, what does that look like for leaders? What does that look like for people who are really in the midst of this wondering what in the heck is going on? And uh, can you maybe expound more on that idea of mindset and not believing everything that you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, um, through even through some of that story I told of just the processing of my life and how things um, are versus how I thought they would be and all the things. I mean, uh, and, you know, in hindsight, I can be, well, that was silly because my life is amazing now. But I can remember not being able to sleep at night, being so stressed out, so full of anxiety. Um, you know, I, I battled significant anxiety issues to the point where it's impacting me physically and medically. So um, really? massive digestion issues. Not, I mean, just heart rate going up for no reason because I was consumed with the unknown. Um, and uh, I was worried that I was whatever the decision I made. So I just got in my own head. And so, you know, um, I, I think I had to learn that through a season. And, um, uh, you know, telling a, a quick story, um, you know, there's a day that I came home from work um, and I was going through the middle of this. And Chris, my, my wife didn't mean to like cause me to have this life altering moment. It was kind of a statement of the conversation that we were having at one point. Um, I had a newborn son. And um, my wife said, hey, when I hear the garage door open, which was, hey, Drew's coming home from work. She was like, I just take a deep breath because I don't know which version of you I'm about to get. Wow. Um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized I was creating my own inner stability with now driving insecurity in my wife. And I'm holding my newborn son thinking, I need to get my mind, I need to get it together. And so mm-hmm. I read a few books um, on this subject and really just started to kind of get my mind right and started having conversations with some key friends in my life that, um, that's, that, you know, influenced me. And, uh, one of them is Johnny McCabley, who, you know, and I remember, yeah. uh, I remember driving home, uh, and I was at this gas station. I can still picture myself sitting in my car at this gas station. I was down the street from my house. I was on the phone with him before I came home, I was, you know, talking about, you know, I feel like I should do this, but what if I do that? And I think God wants me to do this. And he made a statement. He said, why, why do you always assume that what you want to do and what God wants to do are always different? You know, um, and you could probably like just being a dad. I mean, there's something about you watching your kid do things. You don't necessarily, you want to see them do what they're passionate about doing and what they enjoy brings joy to you when they pursue their joy. Yeah. Right. And it's, um, and I think, uh, so some of those conversations, some books I read, uh, my name is hope by John Mark Homer was very formative for me, um, and yeah. processing some of that. And so, um, you know, these are long winded answers. So I apologize if you have to edit this out, but I think, um, you know, when you say think about what you're thinking about and don't believe everything that you think, you've got to be cognizant um, on having the emotional intelligence to understand what am I thinking, what thoughts are going on in my head, and am I just immediately believing everything I think? Um, you know, if you've ever driven somewhere that you always drive and you get there and you remember, you remember, and you don't remember driving there, or, you know, you're listening to someone, you kind of space out, like, you know, and then they ask you a question, you, you realize you, have no, you weren't listening to them, you know, yeah. um, your, your mind was doing something else. It was wandering, it was thinking about something. So you need to be super cognizant of what is happening in those spaces, those places in your mind, and then understand what am I thinking about and take inventory of that. Um, but every thought quickly turns into an opinion. And then every opinion in our world, the hyperspeed you move at, immediately turns into a belief, which I'm willing to argue with you about on the internet. Um, yeah. And so in today's world, 
we are all going through the same thing with the virus situation. And there are hundreds of experts on the TV and on the internet that are doctors that went to these great colleges. They are way smarter than me. And I can find one that agrees with me on whatever I want to believe, you know? And so you need to, people go to the news today, not for information, but for affirmation. And people are going to affirm what they want to believe anyway. And confirmation and bias. Build, yeah. build this argument. Um, yep. And then I'll, I'll disagree with you, but um, you can send yourself in a wormhole. Uh, you know, you can get on Reddit and go nine layers deep in that beast of, you know, conspiracy theories and whatnot. But you need, when I say don't believe everything that you think, I'm always just saying, hey, there are times when you need to have the humility inside to say, hey, I think this, but I'm willing to be wrong. This mm -hmm. is where my head's at now. But if, if it, you know, everyone listening to this can look back and say that five years ago, snapshot five years ago, today until now, some of what you believe has changed. Yes. Some of what you thought was so important five years ago is not important at all today. And some of what you would have been willing to argue with your family and friends over five years ago, today you actually agree with them. And so to have the humility to say, I don't know everything. I don't have it all together. I am evolving in my mentality. I am maturing. Yeah. So to stay humility and process those thoughts that you have to say, hey, I'm going to hold this with open hands and, and have a very few things that I need to be right about. Um, the older I get, uh, the, the shorter my be right list gets. There's very few things today that I need to be right about. Um, young, immature um, folks and people who don't have emotional intelligence have a be right list that is way too long. And there's a lot of things need to be right about. And that be right list controls them. Um, it, it owns them. They don't own it. And it can drive you into an anxiety filled place where you have to be because you have to be in control. You have to believe these things. You have to be right about these things. And then what and you're not better off for it. You're actually more anxious, more stressed out with more broken relationships in your world because you turned a thought into a belief. And all of a sudden you believe a bunch of things that probably aren't true, you know? Yeah. And so I think there's just a, you know, I think life has a way of kind of beating you up over the years sometimes where you're like, you know what? Uh, I don't maybe know all of these things, but these few things I do know and I double down on these few things and let everything else kind of play out. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a, it's a smart way to guard your anxiety and to guard your stress levels is ask yourself, what do you need to be right about? Um, and if you can let go of some of those things, there's actually a lot of peace in that. That's, that's profound. I love that be right list way too long. I think the church has even at times had that and we, we protect it with a sense of, we believe that it's so important. So we can't let go of these small things. Um, and yet there's a lot of those things that we thought we were right or, or, you know, we had the corner on the market and those have essentially, they've fallen off the table. They're gone. Um, it's that idea that normal has, has now, like we're never returning to a sense of normal. I mean, that's the whole premise of this podcast. It's normal. There's going to be maybe a, a sense of a new rhythm of sorts, or we will come out of this and start at least um, looking forward, but like we're never getting back to a normal. What, what do you think some of the things, whether it be in your world, but also in, in culture and in the church that probably are, you know, maybe we had this list, this be right list, this thing, these things that we held on to that probably aren't returning. Yeah. I think if you look at, um, you know, I tend to look at uh, the churches just, uh, you know, there, there's, it's an organization, right? And I think every organization is going to go through an inventory of things. And, you know, you can, um, the church specifically, you know, you, you got to get back to what are your, what are the core things the church is actually about? 
And what happens over time is we tend to uh, create principles and programs um, that we think are the systematic way of running the church. And, and nothing against that those are the right way to run any organization. Um, but the ultimate builder of the church is Jesus. Um, yeah. He is the builder. And if you look at the story of humanity, we are all on a crash course with death. You know, sin and death uh, is going to run its course, similar to, you know, weird analogy, but even some of the virus is going to run its course, right? Um, and as Americans, and especially the American church, we can believe because we are the most economically wealthy generation in the history of the world, um, where we have done so much to create an easy life, a comfortable life, um, that we almost created this mini heaven with our economic success. And we tend to forget that, that, you know, this world is broken and messed up and it's on a collision course with death. And that's why good things happen to bad people. And, um, you know, I think the world is a super messed up place and we've insulated ourselves and we've made it better and easier um, through our economic success. But I think that we're seeing things that are shakable are being shaken. And I think what won't come back, where the church, I don't know uh, what won't be the same, but I do think the church cannot continue to function on programs and processes that are limited to the big gathering of people. Um, every organization is figuring out. I mean, this is the NFL football games. Like, are, are, are 50,000 people in Seattle going to want to pack the Seahawks stadium this fall as easily as they would have a year ago? Every organization is going to have to think. We might not be able to get huge groups of people together, you know? Practically speaking, can you get groups of 15 or less? And what could you do in that space, you know? Um, and that, that's a scary thing for a lot of churches to think about because the Sunday morning event-centered church um, has been what we do. Uh, and that's what we do well and we know how to do. But I think you're going to have to rethink some of that, just like every organization is rethinking. Do we, like at my building, I've got a team of 800 people in my building. Do I still want 800 people in my building? Is that still the right move? Um, and how can I drive my mission, vision, and, mission, vision, and values in a space where maybe I don't get everyone in the same room as often? I think biblically, you know, the church will still need to gather. You still have to have a gathering of believers. Um, but I just think it's going to change some things. And you got to ask yourself, um, not what is the success, quote unquote successful church down the street doing or the big name pastor doing or the big name conglomerate franchise mega church doing, um, because that's what everyone's been chasing for the last decade in America um, through all the organizations that put the content out there. And those are good organizations. But you got to think through, it's going to be different. Um, it could be more remote. And spiritually, you got to think through what is God about? What is the grand story in this? God is about one thing in the history of humanity, and it's his own glory. Yeah. He is not about your glory. He is about his glory. And the kingdom of God is the message. The church is simply the messenger. So we might need to change how we deliver the message of the kingdom of God and still fulfill our purpose for what he has for us. So, you know, long-winded answer, but um, those are some of the thoughts I've got. No, that's so good. I mean, if you were to flip that upside down, what are the things that you could see, you know, in maybe in a positive way, uh, returning and or, you know, regaining its footing after we get back? Um, you know, like you, you were saying that, you know, the church still even biblically needs to gather. Uh, yeah. How could you picture that looking, um, you know, six months, maybe two years, 10 years from now? What, what do you think is going to be the same? What do you think is uh, maybe going to reshape, but still stay on its feet. I think um, one of the things that I think about is one: um, our, our culture and society has been moving at a hyper speed for a long time, where people fill their lives up, where every night of the week they got something going on, 
or, you know, kids games or this event or whatever. And people in the last six weeks have had pulled all that stuff off their calendar. And frankly, I think a lot of our families are happier right now um, yeah. because it's more focused. It's more intentional. Um, I think some of the good things that will happen, I think we might slow down permanently to hyper speed that we were functioning at. Um, you know, my dad always told me, if you win the rat race of life, you're still a rat. Um, and be <laughs> careful great. who you're competing with. You know, be careful who you're comparing yourself to, because even if you beat them, sometimes, you know, um, you know, Stephen Covey has a book where he talks about beginning with the end in mind. Um, and sometimes you climb the rung of this ladder to get to the top, only to realize that you leaned your ladder against the wrong wall. I think the church might lean the ladder against different walls to say, hey, how can we be more successful in certain spaces? I think um, the uh, what people are looking for today, I believe, in leadership and in organizations is authenticity. Um, we're the most overmarketed generation in the history of the planet. And I think people are looking for what's real. Even now, the difference between me and you and the people who are, some of the people who are completely stressed out of their mind right now, even though they see no material impact in their life from this current situation, is our faith. Um, and you might not realize you're different, but internally you have a hope. Um, you, when you said yes to Jesus, you said, I'm not in control of my life. And yeah. you, you willingly gave control away at salvation. Um, and so as a person of faith, when we say, hey, we, we're not in control to begin with, when the situation completely strips control from people, we're not panicking to the degree to the person who believed they were in control the whole time anyway. They actually lost something in the scenario where you and I are just getting a more real glimpse of what we've been saying, even believing for the last 20 years. Um, and I, so I think, it, I think it's going to drive, um, it might slow us down. It might drive us to lean our ladders against better walls. It might slow down the comparison. Um, you know, and I think it can help us be more authentic. You know, um, I mean, you know, some kids grew up as gym rats are always in the gym. You know, you and I were church rats. Our dads were both pastors. And so we, we, were, we just grew up in the church. And most of my, I have a lot of friends now that are in ministry. And so my Instagram feed every Sunday and Wednesday is like, you know, seven pastors are going live right now. Here's <laughs> Q&A. Oh, it's, it's cool overwhelming. See, it is overwhelming, but it's cool to see people adapting. But here's what I, what I see in a lot of that stuff is, hey, it's so exciting. This Sunday's going to be the best Sunday ever. You know, you know, it's going to be so amazing, so good, right? And it's this, this front that I think that the average person who's unchurched is saying, they're just calling BS on it. And they're saying, here's the thing. If everything's amazing, man, nothing's amazing. Yeah. You can't, it's not always amazing. And I think we've, we've tried to win the rat race of this hyper-paced consumer mentality focused world that we're in, in the church. And I think we're trying to win that rat race. Uh, and even if we win, I think we've, we've won the wrong race. And I think can we go back to, hey, let's authentically talk about the real problems you're going to face, uh, the real journey of faith. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But the problem is, is that's not going to get you Instagram followers. And, but I think that's the reality of, you know, what people are realizing. The early church grew because they were not afraid of death. Um, yeah. And people saw this in them and they said, wait a minute, like they're living in a different world. And that different reality was the kingdom of God that they were citizens of. Um, and the kingdom of God is the message. The church is the messenger. We are not, you know, and we have pledged allegiance to the United States of America for our entire lives. Um, and that has run concurrent with a lot of value systems that are aligned with the kingdom of God. But I think as value systems emerge, uh, you have to decide which kingdom you're going to truly pledge your allegiance to. And, you know, I'm like, literally, I live in the Midwest and listen to country music and I'm far between you right now. I'm as American as a gift. I love this country. But what is the kingdom of God and what does it mean to be a part of that? And I think I think it's gonna push us to hone into the message that Jesus talked about more than anything else was the kingdom of God. Man. Yeah, I, I think the the cool thing about it is in all of that, even though many of us and will continue to 
stumble through learning that reality, I don't think that we are learning things that we will, well, how do I say it? I feel like we we're whether we like it or not, it's like a fire hose and we are learning this quickly. And I love like one of the benefits that I, I think I see coming out of it is that the toxicity of, of like the tribalism, I, I, I call it, I didn't come up with the term, but toxic tribalism. And there's been a lot of that, like, especially in the church, uh, whether it be in youth ministry or in churches where we're so tribal and we're, like you said, we're running this rat race and we're trying to climb this ladder. We're trying to um, gain, you know, gain influence that isn't even real. And that it's so toxic because it actually causes more, almost more damage than it does good. And I see that beginning to just whittle away because it's as if the culture that the tribalism was residing in is eroding. And so the tribalism within it is also eroding. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense to me, you know, and, um, and this isn't like a, um, I, you know, I'm in everything I said, like I'm a pro church person, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. Um, and I love the church, you know, um, and, and, you know, if, if, if I taught you talking negatively about my bride, me and you got problems, we're not friends anymore, you know? And so, uh, and all that, I hope that it's not like I'm, you know, you know, criticizing the church, but I do think it's going to push the organizations to change. And the tribalism, I think is, is something I think, and what I've learned as a leader, uh, the guy that I followed doing the job that I do is, is just a world-class leader. I mean, he is amazing, incredible leader that had a huge impact on my life and a lot of lives around. And so I had, a, I had a huge shoes to fill when I came into this spot. And I think, you know, I spent the first year of my job trying to be him. Um, mm. And I failed and I struggled and I drove home feeling like I sucked every day. And like, I was just trying to do what he did. I was trying to uh, be who he was because he's incredible. And I, you know, wow. he's still a mentor to me. Um, but I think one of the most empowering things as a leader that I have learned is that I can't be, I have to be the leader that I am, not the leader that someone else is. And in a sense, you got to understand who you are as a leader. What has God called you to do? Who is as a pastor? Who has he called you to be? And then be willing to march to the beat that God has given you, whether yeah. or not that fits the mold of the tribe. You know, um, you got to be smart. You got to learn from others. You got to best practices. You have to have systems. You got to surround yourself with people that aren't you know, good at what you're not good at. I mean, all those things don't make sense. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can't be afraid. You just can't put on false armor if that's what everybody else is doing. Mm. Um, you got to figure out, okay, God, what have you called me to be? What's my voice? And instead of just being an echo of what everybody else said. Um, and there's a lot of leaders in the church and in every organization, every organization. There's a lot of leaders right now that don't have a voice. And they're, all they're able to come up with is regurgitating what somebody else said about today's events and scenarios. Mm. And, wow. you know. Um, you know, I think about Jesus saying, Hey, who am I? Peter saying, Well, they said this and they said that, and I heard this. And he cuts off and goes, No, man, what do you say? Who do you say I am? And at a certain point, you got to have that conviction of what do I say? What do I believe? Who do I believe Jesus actually is? What do I actually about why I'm here? And then how do I go live my life from a genuine, authentic place um, that, you know, is unapologetic? And I'm okay if I've only got three followers, 12 followers, 72 followers, 700 followers. Um, because I'm being the leader that God has called me to be and being the voice into my generation, whether or not it's sexy or popular right now. And that's a hard thing to do um, for a leader in my place, in my job or in your job. Um, but I think if you can um, get away from the tribalism, as you called it, and, and be a voice instead of an echo, that honestly, people are attracted 
to authenticity and what's real. They yeah. smell the BS from a mile away because we've, we've been clicking through Instagram ads and sponsored posts like for years. We know when someone is selling us. And frankly, anytime you're saying what someone else says um, or preaching off somebody else's notes, um, you, you're going to have limited success because you're, you're echoing. And it might be an echo of a great voice, but it ain't you. Um, yeah. As a leader, you got to know who you are, what you're about. And that's where the strength and security comes um, when people are trying to follow you through a difficult time like this. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, I think, I think everyone, to an extent, is discovering pieces of them. Like, I'm, I'm looking internally, like Noelle and I were having a conversation just last night, of while there were certain things that I felt like God was preparing me for, and working on the inside of me without knowing that a virus was coming, although I did know a, a human was coming. Um, but uh, it's like, I, 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 there were a lot of things that was, there were, it was preparing me, but there, there are maybe just as many things now that are also being unearthed in me and, and exposed mm -hmm. in me. Um, elements of whether it be laziness or uh, you, you name it. And I'm only now seeing it because I'm in this place where I, I'm not only am I slowing down, but I'm seeing so much stuff that it is literally forcing me to either cave into that or look in myself and say, all right, God, what are you, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to Taylor? And, and even seeing, listening to that before, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out, we've, we've got young people, we've got students, we've got our church that we're trying to think, okay, God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to, to all of us? And, but I, I first have to say, God, what are you, if you were just focused on me right now, God, what are you trying to get me to understand? that this pandemic is helping rush that to the forefront. Maybe for you, like what are some of the things that it's revealing in you that maybe you, you were, were unexposed or that you're revealing weren't as on lockdown as you thought they were? Um, you know, I think uh, I, you know, I, I'm probably lazier than I'd like to admit. Um, when you, it, when you, when you've jammed your schedule full of stuff, it's easy to say, well, the reason I don't exercise or take care of myself is because I'm too busy, blah, blah, blah. But when all the stuff goes away and I don't have to be at my kid's soccer practice, and I don't have to go to this event, I can't do this, but I'm sitting on the couch like a turd watching Netflix for two hours or, you know, doing whatever, like that's, that's, that's laziness and that's, uh, that's gluttony and it's a sin, you know, <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about that because I'm comfortable, but you know, I think um, there's a verse, uh, it's either uh, Peter or James, I'm sure, you know, you're the pastor, you should know these things. <laughs> there's a picture that says, uh, it says uh, for he who knows what he ought to do, but does not do it to him. To him, it's a sin, yeah. And that, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what should you be doing that you're not doing? Mm. What, what tests on paper, you know, there's a lot of tests that you want to pass on paper, but we fail in life. And we can yeah. tell someone else what we should be doing, but are we doing it ourselves? And we know, you know, I always say I've been saying six pack abs by summer, but like for seven years, but I've never had them, you know, well, what, what should I do? Like, oh, I should eat right and exercise. Everyone knows that. Not a lack of knowledge that's stopping you from doing the right thing. It's lack of willpower and lack of you actually doing it. And deep down, if you slow down, put down your phone uh, and really evaluate it, I got some sin issues in my life that I know what I should be doing. And it's, it's God, God's voice that I don't want to listen to that's saying, hey, get yourself in line, you know? uh take care of yourself um and those aren't popular messages right now but um you know i was even looking through some of the uh age categories you know when you watch like the, even with the virus and the fatality rates and 
you know, I realize I'm in a higher age category today than I would, I'm not young, you know, I'm getting old um, and I'm inactive. And, you know, I, I, those are, those are things that I gotta, I gotta adjust and change. So I know those are kind of just super basic practical things, but um, when I look at the list of things that make you high risk for the situation and realize that the majority of them are, are preventable um, through how you take care of yourself in your thirties, uh, that's, that's an eye opener. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, on the practical side. You know, I think uh, I, I think I, I also realize that I'm addicted to distractions. Um, I'm addicted to staring at my phone. Even my the nature of my work, generally there's 800 people together, and there's just constant. It's like it feeds my ADD. There's a lot of squirrels to chase. But mm-hmm. today there's not. Like I got actually, you know, it's got to be more focused and practical. And I'm not getting interrupted all the time. But I'm starting to realize that uh, I think I enjoy the distractions because it gives me an excuse to not do the thing that I know I should have done. I was too ah, busy. That's so great. That's, I was telling a, another youth pastor the other day, I used to be able to find myself unfocused and just, you know, and I, I, I would say that I get my stuff done and I'm working and I'm, I'm, you know, generally not overly lazy, but I would, there would be plenty of times where I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not working hard this very moment. I'm going to text the youth pastor in the area and see if he wants to get lunch. And, and that's a good thing. We're building relationship mm-hmm. valuable. Yep but I thrived on that variety that kept me feeling in a productive place when in reality, what I needed to do was get my head down and actually face what is right in front of me and say, yeah. it doesn't matter if I want to or like doing that. That literally does not matter. I have a responsibility to what is in front of me. And right. it's, that's been a harsh reality. I haven't gotten lunch with anyone other than my freaking kids. And it's yeah. peanut butter and jelly every single day yeah. and that oh, yeah. is getting old we've gone through so much peanut butter it is actually ridiculous and it's that or mac and cheese and i don't even I like, like mac, mac and cheese. cheese it's not even craft it's annie's it's organic it's not even that good yeah. it's yeah. like it's it's not fake enough and so i'm i'm realizing man i thrived on some things that probably weren't in and of themselves they were neutral um <laughs> But now what I need to learn to thrive on is the things that are going to continue to move me forward. Um, we'll we'll kind of end here, wrap up a little bit, but you know, you're like, like you said, you're, you're in an environment and you're, you're a local church guy, you're a kingdom guy, but you're in an environment that is completely not church. Um, what do you see? What have you seen in your environment that the church, uh, whether it be with teams or technology or you name it, uh, the people in the church, um, really need to to get on board with in order to continue to move forward you got a practical space you know you got to meet people where they're at um and whether or not you want to be there you know i know we've had conversations about even like social media the love-hate relationship with it you know uh my pastor here told me he's like i hold social media like a snake like at a distance you know and um but i think you got to be able to connect with where they're at um that's where they're that's where they are you know and i think while you know rome built roads that carried the gospel and rome was not the church but rome built something that the church used to spread the gospel in the first century you know i think social media is very similar to that like it's not an inherently christian thing but um you have to find where they are in the technology piece you know i think too i think is you know you got to find a way every church is trying to figure out how to make small groups work and you know i'm not super familiar uh with what you guys are doing now but why is it so hard to make that work? Well, frankly, it's because people don't want to go to them. You know, uh, like I, I, I avoid small groups like the plug personally. Um, 
And cause like, I just, I, I don't want to go to some structured formatted thing where I'm supposed to like, you know, I just want to, I just want to be people and make friends my own way and do my own thing, but I don't want to be a part of the system. Um, and it wouldn't be so hard uh, to drive it if people actually wanted to do it. Uh, and so I think, uh, but, but that space where you're actually going to get people to get together and, and befriend others is going to be important. You got to drive community at a different level. Um, that's got to become more important. I don't know how it's it small groups are the answer or not, but I do think um, it, what people are hungry for in the non-church world is people that are real, um, that have strength, um, that uh, that's attractive, you know, and yeah. people are looking for real. Um, and, and are you building people that are out in the community that are really working hard, that are really doing everything they can to, to the best of their ability, that are really great husbands, that are really great fathers, that are smart and wise with their money? Um, are, are they the salt and light of the world? And are you building people or building a program, a system, and an organization? You know, I think, um, I think you're going to see a migration after this. People are not going to want to live in bigger cities. I think getting space out in the country or being out further away from dense population is going to be more popular. Um, you might see the same shift in the megachurch model. You might see people say, you know what? I don't want to be one of 10,000 people. I actually want to be one of 150 of people that I really genuinely enjoy being around um, and actually have open life with. And so I think building real people is important. And, um, you know, there's you know, the spiritual side, and I think just doubling down on your values. As you go through uncertainty, one thing that I think I've seen successful organizations do is no one can sit here and say what's going to happen or what we will do two weeks from now because um, this thing has evolved and changed so much week over week that every politician, every business leader wants to be able to control this. But the reality is we can't control what's going to happen outside of here. Um, what, what drives security and stability in your organization is doubling down on your values and saying, hey, I can't tell you what we will do two weeks from now because I don't know what's going to happen two weeks from now. But I can promise you who we're going to be. You know, for my team, I've been able to say, hey, we are going to be, we're going to take care of our customers and we're going to put, prioritize employee safety. So, and then we're going to operate with wisdom and judgment and we're going to communicate frequently. So three weeks from today, I have no idea what the news cycle is going to be saying. I won't be able to tell you what CNN or MSNBC or Fox or the talking heads are all going to say. I have no idea. Um, but I can tell my employees with confidence that we're going to take care of our customers. I'm going to prioritize their safety. I'm going to operate with wisdom and communicate consistently. So double down on those values and say, hey, I don't know what we'll do, but I know who we'll be. And if, if you can, if you've demonstrated that over time in the middle of the storm, your people will stick to you. If you have not, you've been all talking, no follow through. They're going to scatter. Uh, but I think you double down on your values, and that 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 creates a stability and a security inside of people that they can rely on what's going to happen. I don't know what the world's going to do, but I know what Taylor's going to do. I know how he's going to show up, and yeah. that's that that's attractive to people, and that drives security in them and stability and clears headspace for them to still pursue your organizational mission in the middle of chaos um, because they at least can they, they're attracted to the stability and security that that you as a leader bring because you've been a values-based decision maker over time and you've got reason to believe that's how you're going to act in the future as well love it love it no that's 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 so good so so rich there's a lot there um we could spend a couple hours unpacking everything but i want to respect your time last thing that i'll ask you is one insignificant bold prediction uh for this fall sports you name it i'm putting you on the spot one insignificant bold prediction ah that's a tough one um i i think uh i think professional sports are going to play in neutral sites and empty stadiums i hope not tv only and you know what we're going to be so freaking desperate for something we're going to watch it. We'll be into it. And it's going to work. This morning, literally, I'm in a group text with guys uh, that are, uh, I'm the fantasy football team with. 
and literally they're like, hey guys, make sure you don't miss ESPN at 10. Some like, like Swedish dude is going to break the, like the, the world deadlifting record in a room by himself. And literally like they were like talking about how excited they were to watch live sports. I'm like, they're watching a Swedish guy lift 1100 pounds. And ESPN was milking that for an hour. It was an hour long show about one guy lifting one thing one time, you know, like 30 minutes on his background, 20 minutes watching him stretch. People are watching this. So I think you, although it sounds ridiculous, people are going to be so desperate for sports, they're going to watch it in empty stadium with no do, fans. Do you think that the world's fastest clapper, you know, professional clapping could ever become a thing? You remember that guy? I, I am the world's be. fastest clapper. Yeah. Professional eating. That's a solo <laughs> sport that you can do in a room by yourself. Dude, I've been doing it for the last six weeks. Absolutely. What you got any <laughs> new snacks? What do you besides peanut butter? What are you eating? Bro, I it's it's bad news, man. I'm drinking a crap ton of coffee and I am although it's black coffee only, I don't put anything in my coffee. No sugar, no cream, nothing. And uh but peanut butter pretzels from Trader Joe's, dude. Ooh. It's bad news. And Noel keeps buying them. I tell him tell her no. But then I'm you I'm eating not eat it. Bag, bro. It's bad you news. Can't not eat it. It is bad news. It's it's so bad, but it's so good, you know. And yeah. the weather's been okay. It's pouring down rain right now, but the weather's been okay. So I'm walking around getting yeah. pretend exercise. So it's great. You meet your neighbors? Oh yeah, dude. I I've met more neighbors in the last um, month than in the five years before living in our home. I love that. I love and that. and I'm we're it's really cool because we're actually becoming we're building relationship with them and and you know they they're you know, socially distant meeting our, our uh, daughter and, and it's been really cool. And like they're it, it, all of them are crazy. And I think that that's a significant thing. Like the, people are realizing what they need most and what they crave, which is, is yeah. life with people and relationship. And, and it's been a cool opportunity because I'm talking to them about like, Hey, you know, and we're doing, we're doing this stuff on live church. And for them, it's novel because that none of them go to church. None, right. none of our neighbors do like I, it's, yeah. it's wild. Other than, and the ones that do go to our church, it's, it's pretty funny, but I'm, so I'm inviting them all to, Hey, come to church with us. We're doing it online. You can watch three minutes. If you want, you can watch 10 seconds. You can watch the whole thing. I'll be there. I would love to let you know, you know, let me know what you think. Yeah. And we're having those kinds of conversations. It's been, it's been really cool. So. That is yeah. really cool. People crave that. I think they're craving, they're craving real. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Numo podcast. As always, please subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen. That would help us out a ton. And stay tuned for some more great content. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Numo podcast. We will see you next week.